Welcome to our Ted Lasso talk, the Tedcast. Welcome, all Greyhound fans. Welcome, all you sinners from the dog track and all the AFC Richmond fans around the world. It's the Lasso way around these parts with Coach Coach and Boss. Without further ado, Coach Castleton. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Today we are exploring Ted Lasso, Season 2, Episode 10. This is Part 5 of our ongoing coverage. I am your host, Coach Castleton. With me, as always, is Coach Bishop. What is going on, family? And our boss, Emily Chambers. And this time I did bring the bottle of wine. Oh, good. Nice. Good, because we're in church. And, mm-hmm. and, and we're going to start right in church with Sassy walking into the door where Rebecca and Keely are, are being unacceptable, boss. Unacceptable. Yeah. And, and Sassy says, I've been told to come in and ask you to lower your voices. Mm-hmm. That's good. I, it is appropriate for Sassy to be the voice of reason, I think, boss. Absolutely. That is it, the same as when I am supposed to be the voice of reason. Everything right. is going well. <laughs> and what does she say? Pick it up from here, boss. But also I brought this and it holds up a bottle of wine. Now, there was a slight part of me that thought one bottle of wine for three people. I guess maybe they are at a funeral. So that's that's maybe the appropriate amount. And I, I need one other thing to be clear. I don't, I know that I joke about uh, my drinking a bit. I, number one, I'm exaggerating. Number two, I am Midwestern. So like there is a thing I, I saw this comedian, uh, TikTok the other day talking about how his girlfriend moved to Chicago from LA and she voiced some concerns about his drinking. And he was like, well, yeah, no, we could go grab a drink right now if you need to. Like, I don't, I don't understand what the the problem. Is. It's it's seventy degrees outside, so we should go get some beers. That's like it's daytime. We we should get a beer, right? Um, I would also like to very quickly mention that ten uh, ish years ago, I was going out with three other friends. Two of them were meeting us at my friend's house. So I went to her house. She and I went to the liquor store together. We were planning on enough drinks for four people to have a like quick get together catch up session before we went to the bar. And she said, do you think we should get a 12 pack or a 24? Like six was not an option. We were six was not going to be discussed. There was absolutely no fucking way that we were going to get six beers. No. And then it was only a matter. We actually settled on an 18 pack, which seemed like a nice compromise. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I want to keep going with this episode, but I just don't this understand. I don't this understand. So I don't get it. So Midwesterners drink is what you're saying. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is it because they live in a terrible place or? Either they live in a terrible place or you live in the best place on earth. There is only one or the other. Like either you are in Chicago, which is fucking amazing. Milwaukee, also great. Detroit, Kansas City, despite some of the things I've heard on this podcast, I have heard wonderful things about it. Um, But also like just to our credit, there was a map of, uh, binge drinking across every county in the U.S. 
And in Utah, every single county had 0% binge drinking, none. And binge drinking was defined as three or more drinks in a single evening. And in Wisconsin, every single county had 90% binge drink, like every single fucking one. It's just a cultural thing. You go out, you grab a beer. You go to an art museum, you have a glass of wine. You go to your parents' house, you drink a fifth of vodka. It's what you need to do. To <laughs> well, Sassy walks in with a bottle of wine. She says she stole it from a little boy in a white robe. Again. As you do in church. Mm-hmm. Again, yep. just kicking just, just kicking a chair out from under the patriarchy. Just love it. Also, a, a, a move we have yeah. seen from Sass before, because when we met Sassy, she just stolen some champagne off a cart in the hotel. So th- that's like that's like her moves. Like she's like, I will snatch some booze and get the party started. Yeah, and she, uh, I guess, twists the top off the wine. I'm guessing that's what it looked like uh, because she gets into it pretty quickly, and I don't see a cork, and then immediately puts it to her lips mm-hmm. and takes a drink. Listen, for someone who's not that big of a drinker, I'm like, God damn. Well, she tosses like, the cap over her shoulder. Like, it's, she's not going to... There's nothing about the no. way she opens it that says, we're going to need that again. Like, that is... No. Yeah, we don't need that anymore. That Boss, is you don't thing- drink a whole bottle of wine, though, by yourself, though, do you? Like, like right yes. now? It, yeah, today? Yeah. I haven't yet today, no. I haven't yet today. But like one bottle, like you're like, oh, that's a bottle for me. Like that's how you view like a bottle. Like that'll be my could, bottle. Could, could I be- Could I drink a bottle of wine? Yes. Yeah. I have a, I mean, I like- have a great story along these lines. Well, anyway, great to me. So you're going to hear it. Um, So we're, we're hanging out. A bunch of like friends of ours are, that, you know, just come through from time to time. And so it's Easter and we used to do, and the kids are smaller, I guess, too. We used to do like, you know, folks coming over for these different nights. So they came over for Easter. We're all going to have Easter dinner. So we'd have, you know, get wine, blah, blah, blah. So we're telling this story. We're telling this hilarious story of, in quotes, of this time that we ended up at the end of the night realizing that we had consumed um, over a bottle of wine each. Like we hadn't set out saying, this is your bottle and this is your bottle but there are only so many adults here and there are this many bottles of wine. We've gone over the one-to-one ratio and we're telling this story and all having a laugh. And one of our friends says, Oh my God, you did. And we all stopped. And then another friend said, you were here. (laughs) (laughs) One of my, like one of my all time favorite moments ever was like the like stunned silence because we all thought it like what do you mean you guys did hello drunkard yeah you did yeah, too no. so yeah it was great you you that's amazing <laughs> that, yeah no i um it, i i maybe have told this story already so stop me if i have and we'll cut it but when i was in college working at a catering company and we would need to pour glasses of wine to be passed at like reception hours or whatever uh, as I'm pouring out all of the bottles of wine, I said to my supervisor, her name was Cherie. She was amazing. I said, oh, so a bottle of wine is really just like three, maybe four glasses. Like I I was thinking of it in the same way that a bottle of booze. I could not drink a bottle of booze, any size bottle of booze, except for the little shot ones that you get in airplanes. Outside of that, no. But like a bottle of wine, I was like, that's like three or four glasses of wine. That's not a huge, that's not a, like ungodly amount to me 
And she said, no, definitely not. One, one night I drank two bottles of wine all by myself. And I was like, at that point in my life, I was like, whoa, shit, Cherie, great job. But also it depends. Like, are you drinking a very light, not that alcoholic white wine? Are you drinking a very full bodied, more alcoholic red yeah, wine? Like, yeah, that's true. What do you, what, what sort of wine are you drinking here? And I said, holy shit, well, what did you get? And she said, what did I get? Pregnant. And I thought, God damn it. I am wow. never, Wow. I'm never going to say anything better than that. No, no, that's, a, that's, that's, that's like written dialogue, I, man. That's like, wow. I couldn't fucking believe it. What she was sick. Pregnant. And I was like, well, all right, great job. Yeah. Well, Sassy puts a bottle of wine to her lips, takes the first swig. And what does she say here, boss? Um, uh, so then Sassy immediately after drinking the bottle of wine wants to know who Rebecca has secretly been shagging. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because is, there's no fucking around. Like we got yeah, wine and we're at a right, funeral. She goes mm-hmm. right to it. Like right. So like, this is the moment like that, you know, who are you secretly shagging? That's it. She's like, what? And what does Keely say? Uh, skip to the part where she is, where she says she isn't. And Keely starts listing all the reasons. How the bullshit text after the date, the fact that I have not seen you outside of work for two weeks, and even though this is your father's funeral, you are glowing like a girl that just got properly plowed. Wow. Okay, again, in in my, I love this sequence for it's like, fuck the patriarchy energy. This, how often do we see women on screen talking like this about sex? It ain't about does he love me or does Mm -hmm. he not love me. It ain't about whatever. It's about, girl, I got some good, right? I mean, like, that energy, like, how often do you see that on screen? And so, I I, I will say that um, I felt, uh, I don't, boss, do you, okay, nitpicking, but um, the term plowing (laughs) seemed, Seems very male centric. Seems uh, the, from the gaze of the plow, the plow, or the plow, plow hand, um, rather than the the gaze of the field. If that makes sense. The field. Wow. Um, <laughs> so, um, I've just never heard uh, women say "plowed" as the verb because they are they are the. Um, no, but if you say, well, there's, there is no good terminology for females, and I don't like to say females like that, but for women to engage in sex. Like, you get fucked, um, guys get head, but that seems kind of different. Like, there's, a, there's all these different ways where it's yeah. like, who's doing what to whom instead of as it should be happening. Yeah, yeah, the People language is... To each other. Yes, yes. But... Right. In absence of having good terms for all those things, uh, I do feel that there has been sort of a, a, a reclaiming of a lot of these terms that instead of making it sound vulgar or dismissive to say that she's getting plowed, it's like, oh, no, 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 he is doing it the right way. He, she is getting plowed. Like, she is getting her back blown out. Like, you you just re, you reclaim it, and you're like, he's going to do... We, and also that's very heteronormative, but like, well, yeah. it, when, 
I mean, I don't think lesbians ever have to worry about if he is doing the right thing. That's sort of outside of the lesbian scope for the most part. Uh, so I don't know that I would ever say getting plowed, but I definitely would say a lot of other super vulgar things. I like the phrase you used about uh, back blown out because oh, I'll yeah. never forget when um, Black Panther came out and there was a big fuss about M'Baku and the tweet I saw yes. that laid me low, like I was like, oh shit, I need a nap, was M'Baku can blow my back out. And I said, God <laughs> damn. I was like, well, this woman has made herself fucking clear. She said, Baku can blow my back out. I was like, you know what? Oh, man. I endorse that message. When Twitter was good, it was actually pretty good. Obviously, because of the people that were tweeting, well, not sure. necessarily the people in charge. That's fine. Um, it, that does kind of remind me of a tweet. I'll need to find it. Somebody said something basically about how, like, incels are always complaining that women will only sleep with guys who are chads or only nines or tens. And in the meantime, every hot woman I know in real life would let Matt Berry hit raw. And I was like, hit raw is so good. That is such a that's great real, That's real talk too. <laughs> that's real talk. Matt Berry could hit raw. I love it. I sometimes think about it on a daily basis. What what is the origin of the term "blow your back out"? Like I, I I'm it's not something I use. What what is the? No idea. I have no idea how slang happens. Yeah, I, never, or what I it don't. Is even, I don't even remember imply. the first time I even heard it. But I, yeah, I mean, I'm familiar. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I have no idea either. I'm sure somebody out there's got a story, but it's got to oh. be something. It's um, I do remember one time I was at Dave Matthews Band concert. My older sister and I made friends with a couple sitting next to us, and she clarified. We are not dating. We are friends. We do have sex sometimes. And tomorrow I am going to walk funny. And I was like, great. I really, you summed it all up for us there, ma'am. Love, love that you just did that so quickly. Appreciate it. Well, all right. <laughs> I, all right. <laughs> says Coach that. can't recover. <laughs> I, I it seems sounds painful. It just sounds painful. Like blowing somebody's back out sounds injurious. Um, it's fine. Whatever. Um, I don't know where it's from, but yes, I understand. But also, uh, I wish it would go away. No, no, no it's, it, fine. I would, it's fine. I, it, it's fine. It's fine. That sure is the fine. voice of a man who I'm thinks sure it's, it's fine. I'm sure it's, it's fine. Great. I'm sure it's, it's fine. Great. It's fine. No, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's good. It's good. It's a good one. Oh. Um, so Sassy is laughing here, and continue here, boss, please. Yes, so they all laugh for a second before Rebecca says, shit, which is very clearly an indication that she's been found out. Now, I suspect that at this point what she thinks is, I'm going to acknowledge that I'm secretly dating somebody, but not who it is. Uh, of course, immediately Nora and Deborah come in and say that they she's been told to come in and tell them to lower their voices. Okay, I want... Nora then... I'm sorry, because I do want to just no. toss in here that we're about to get further into the inappropriate right because now we were we were doing same generation that's one level of discussing of the back being blown out now we're going to do another level of intergenerational sex talk so back to boss yes yeah there's um 
I think even in the uh, freest of families, even I being the inappropriate aunt who makes too many jokes and says too many swear words, there are some times where I'm like, hey, I'm going to need you to put on some earmuffs. Like for this one, this one is this one is too much. This one only I want to say to my sister. Yeah. No, seriously. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. No, at this point, my nephew is fully 31 years old. I can't imagine discussing anybody blowing anybody's back out. With, I mean, no. I don't need to have this conversation. Mm-mm. Thank Mm-mm. you. <laughs> no. It's a lot. It is a lot. Um, uh, the vicar looks like he wanted to swear. Is everything all right? Nora says. And Keely responds, yeah, we're just trying to figure out who Rebecca is shagging. And Deborah says, oh, I know. And it's good. Like, just fully in it. Boom. We are in. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mother. Mm-hmm. And, and it's good. Yep. And they all start screaming again. And Sassy says that they should play 20 questions. Uh, Nora actually. Wait, is this a really kind thing that Deborah does by saying it's good? It feels like, um, I don't know. I was, I was thinking about that. Like she could have taken another route. She could have had a judgment. She's the mom. She could have like said, oh, you know, I just wish she was with somebody a little, you know, a little more her age. You know, like she could have done a bunch of things. She could have made a bunch of choices here. But she was like, oh, no, it's good. It's good. I thought that was like very um, like un, un, uh, uncommonly nice for them. Oh, that's interesting. I, oh, that's not where I thought you were going. For me, what I liked about it was for a moment, and I'm, I'm very curious boss's take on this, for a moment it felt to me like it's just us girls. And I mean that in the most, like, I don't mean girls, like, I'm not calling them women, but just like that vibe of like, and so I imagine, uh, you know, I imagine Deborah going, you know, on the scale of things one could do in this life, having sex with that specimen of man seems like it's pretty high up the fucking list. I mean, like, you know, like, because as long as we're just sort of ranking shit in this life. Um, So I I, kind of just... For me, in that moment, even though Rebecca says "mother," you know, "mother," I it felt appropriate to the moment, as inappropriate as it's all supposed to be. Anyway, I'm going to be quiet now. No, 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 no. I actually agree with everything you said, and Castleton. I do agree that Deborah was being uh, both kind and also fairly insightful in this specific instance. In that. It had the newspapers found out that Rebecca and Sam were sleeping together. That right. could be very bad. That right. that could be an issue. Yes. But what Deborah understands about the relationship is for outsiders, we we can't let them know because people would make assumptions or they don't understand the inner workings or whatever else that it could lead to trouble in some way, but that the relationship itself is very respectful and kind and nurturing, and Sam and Rebecca really care about each other. And apparently Sam knows about them inner workings. Am I right? Boom! Yes! Yes, 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 yes! Yikes. Um, Yes! I I actually, now I'm thinking about it, maybe it wasn't as gracious as I'm giving Deborah credit for, because I was presupposing a mother's perspective on this, and she doesn't see herself that way necessarily. You know, everyone, how she's like, oh, you really, you know, whatever. She, She basically... It has abdicated the role of you know of just mother and, and and she's coming into this to be like this is a girl time 
And yeah. So, but she removes judgment, which I kind of like. She's just like, oh, it's it's good. I mean, that is a judgment, but it's a positive judgment. It's a positive judgment. judgment. And also there's an extent to which it would be wildly uncomfortable if Rebecca were 16 and her mom was like, oh, great job, sweet. Like, you really, you really picked that hot guy. But there is a little bit of as you get older, as you become, it, your parents never stop being your parents, but your parents do stop needing to do things that parents do for little kids. Like, it, even if you could always go back to your parents' house, the way that Castles and you said, you encourage your children to always think that they could. If they come back at 30, for instance, to attend grad school that is uh, further out in the Chicago suburbs, your relationship is slightly different. Like they are your parents, but also you are more similarly not stationed, but like you can be a little bit more friendly and talk about more things because they are not responsible for keeping you alive anymore. So I feel like in this way, yeah, she's kind of not exactly the mom role. It's perfect in this situation because it keeps the ball rolling. Yes. You know, it's like, and, and like, look at Keely's face, just her, her, the fact that first of all, somebody knows. Yeah. Yeah. Definitive. No, it's mm-hmm. on now. That's like, it's oh, on it's on. Now. Yeah. They, yeah. Yeah. They're going to find out. And Rebecca's like, mother, you know, like, <laughs> like, well, and actually what I would say is that it is it, what I thought you were going to say about being kind is that Rebecca might feel like she couldn't necessarily tell everyone without it being a thing. Like, if she had secretly pulled Keely aside and been like, hey, listen, Sam and I are banging, then that might, it, like, that would put a different spin on it. This is sort of like a, you are given permission to gossip about this because the gossip is really good and you should be able to tell your closest friends without feeling weird about it. It's oh, sort of yes. spilling for Abs- her yeah. so yes, that she go. doesn't need to yeah. do the spilling herself. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, listen, there we, is we, tea. We there over. is some quality right, tea yes. right here. Yeah. Absolutely. And we glossed over one part of it that I forgot I want to mention, which is when they corner Rebecca before Nora and Deborah come in, she owns it and makes like a face and is like into it. And this, yes. so it's like a ga- she sort of gamifies the whole like, fuck, like when she's like shit. And then yes. she starts to really get into it. And that makes them really get into it. And there's wine flowing. And it's it's like, we're hiding from this huge pressure situation. Yeah. We have this little enclave and, and um, it's beautiful. It's this wonderful thing. And then two more girls come in. It's more girl time. Everybody's then the first message they get is, oh, I fucking know who it is. And it's good. They're like, we are going to like we are going to achieve the dream that that Keely and yes. Sassy yes. Had, had put had put a pin in it right at the beginning of the funeral. Like, is it appropriate to find out today? Like, we're going to find out. I do not believe in the secret, but they did secreted that shit. <laughs> <laughs> As manifested. I love it. All right, take it away, boss. Um, it's so after Rebecca shouts mother, they start screaming again, which means that obviously Nora and Deborah did a great job on their job. Uh, Nora says this is thrilling. And they begin with the 20 questions. Sassy says, is he tall? And Rebecca says, yes. And Keely says, is it Sam? And Rebecca shouts, how the fuck did you know that? Ex- and she didn't. Explosion. They all start screaming. Explosion. Explosion. so good. I, I, okay. I want to talk about this from a craft direction for a second. And then, you know, there's yeah. so many levels to this. Because I, I just really love this. 
you could have had a bunch of there are a lot of ways to do this and by the way i'm sure part of it was somebody in the writer's room going hey by the way our half hour show is now regularly a fucking hour so let's wrap this thing up so that's probably part of it just a practical consideration but we the audience already know the answer and so there's a boredom that could happen very quickly if we make the characters in the room work too hard because we already know so then it's like okay catch up to me catch up to me catch up to me by propelling forward this way all that energy we built up up to this moment doesn't dissipate. If anything, we elevate it by having the explosion that comes after it and, and underscore sassy. Um, I mean, uh, Keely's understanding of Rebecca and people that somehow, whatever it is, because I mean, there's no reason for her to believe that, that she, boom, I got it. I know who it is. I thought said like, wow, you two really are friends. It, well, yes, absolutely. That I think from a technical perspective, we need to just get there so that we could have everybody on the same page, everybody knowing. But also, uh, there is a tiny bit of... I knew uh, a friend of mine uh, was fooling around with a mutual friend of ours. And I had no idea until she mentioned that she was seeing somebody. And I was like, oh, shit, is it John? And she was like, and I was like, well, like, if you hadn't said it, I wouldn't have known. But when you said you were dating somebody, I fucking knew it was John. Like, obviously it was John. I've seen the two of you interact. So I think that there was a little part of that. that, like, Uh, If Keely had seen them together, because we, the audience, had seen Sam in season one go up to Rebecca's office and invite her down to the uh, burning of the keepsakes. And because we'd seen some of their interaction, but like. Keely might have, without knowing it, picked up on those things and not been able to say it until it was presented to her in this way. So I, I actually like that has happened to me before, where I'm like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. uh, no, now I, no, see I it. got it right. It, Interesting. It is, it is really fun when you. My favorite one was I remember being at a party uh, in LA, and I have, I have a friend who's uh, she's a she's a director, uh, an unbelievably talented director, and. Um, and I remember <laughs> she, she's very, very private, like very private about her personal life. Um, but I, I had this one weird little tingly sense uh, that she was kind of after somebody like, like, but like she almost hadn't even admitted it to herself. I think she was at the end of a relationship, but I could kind of see the machinations. It was very complicated, but she had somehow over a couple week period put herself in the situation to be around this, this one mm-hmm. person. And, and I was like, I don't, I remember saying to her, I was like, the, like, you know, you're in, in this bustling party. And we said this little, we were standing next to each other, just talking. And I remember, um, I just knew her really well. <laughs> She's like a little sister to me. And I said, I was like, I don't know if you know, but like, he's your next guy. And to see her face, you know what I mean? Like, she's like, how the fuck? Did you know that? Like, I haven't even admitted it to myself wow. yet. You know what I mean? It was like the greatest, uh, the greatest thing. Um, but it's like, so the the priest has now sent uh, Sassy back to quiet everybody, and it got louder, right? And it's it's like a it's it's like a an affliction. Now he sends 
not only Nora, but also Deborah back. And it gets the loudest it's been to the point where we get after how the fuck did you know that it's Sam? Everybody screams. We get like a reaction shot from the front of house, yeah. you know, from, from, yeah. from the, the main chamber where the priest is like, all right, excuse me. Like I have to go manage this. By the way, as far as directing and so much of the technical stuff is phenomenal. Shooting this through a doorway was such a great choice because it's a peek out as much as we're sort of peeking in and back there. And we're not with the priest, nor with these mourners. We're like, you know what I mean? Like we are with, you know, I want to get back there and hear what everybody's got to say about, you know, Sam and Rebecca. So I I thought it was just like a really well, well chosen shot. Yeah. It was very good. Um, So coach walk us through this. The priest leaves and heads back. Right, so we uh so he excuses himself, the priest comes in, yells, That's it, everyone out except immediate friends and family. Um, Rebecca tells um tells Keely, you're so bad. Uh Sass is you know, just beside herself. She makes a face at her, like, ooh, like, oh, you ho 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 ho. I can't believe you, but in the most fun way. Nora starts to step toward Rebecca, and 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 for those who may have have forgotten this detail, Nora had a big, huge crush on one Sam Obasanya, and you can see on Rebecca's face that she's like, "I have, I have betrayed you. I, I, I have betrayed you, and I'm sorry." And Nora is the part of Nora that was able to say, "This is thrilling." Like, got that? Like, oh, I'm at the big girl table now was able to go yes. sorry <laughs> like yes i fucking get it and said boss ass bitch which again is only made more delicious by the fact that <laughs> the the vicar is uh standing right behind her to just soak up this bit of profanity from a child so it's just like so many things she apologizes of course uh and then rebecca apologizes for their terrible behavior and as he leaves <laughs> She laughs. I, I I mean, I love everything about this. I could eat this entire mm-hmm. sequence with a spoon. Just love it. I I did genuinely like the boss ass bitch. Usually that line should not that that would be a little too uh you go girl for me. Right. Ish. Right. I, I shouldn't love it. Right. Except there was a time uh in college I was hanging out with a friend of mine and his girlfriend and somehow it came up like I sort of like slyly mentioned that I'd made out with a guy that we knew and his girlfriend who I wasn't super close with, but liked a lot uh, said nothing, leaned over, high-fived me and sat back. And I was like, yes. All right. You, you fucking got it. That is it. Exactly. I love that. Casual high-five. Yes. I I also thought it was cool because the context in which we'd heard that phrase from her before was all the stuff with like, um, the, the, the other owner, you know, the other team owner and blah, blah, yes. blah. And, oh no, it was the, the spot, the, uh, air, air Emirates. The sponsor. Yeah, yeah. Air Dubai. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Air and Dubai. Sh- and, and, yes. and I thought for, you know, everyone looks at, everyone looks at, uh, at Rupert with his, you know, many young women, but his latest young woman who's like, and like, oh, look at Mr. Verrill. And I thought there was something cool about saying that we can choose to view 
Rebecca in this way. And actually, Rebecca's not doing all the dirt that goes along with it. She's just standing there being her attractive self, pulling like a fit, rich football star. Like, so, oh, yes. so it worked for me on that level too of underscoring that. It's a nice, it's a nice scene. There's a lot of, um, a lot of emotion and it's, it's a nice release with all the pressure that Rebecca's under. Um, as soon as we get through that moment, we're back to the pressure cooker of Ted's flat. Um, he is sitting here talking to, um, Dr. Sharon. She says, Ted, it's not surprising that you had a panic attack. Um, it's possible that going to this funeral would trigger memories of going to your own father's funeral. And to which, uh, Ted says, what here, boss? Nope, nope, nope. I didn't go nope, to my nope, dad's nope. funeral. Yeah, he didn't do it. He did not go to his dad's funeral. Dr. Shannon says, why not? He says, cause he quit. Mm. Uh, you know, he quit on his family. Ooh. He quit on himself. Um, and he says he hated him for that. Now. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, because yeah. there's a ton here. Go. I want to stop the podcast because we we have been dreading getting to some of us, namely me, have been dreading to getting to. The- <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready because I wore now, I wore I wore asbestos underwear just in case, mm-hmm, just to make mm-hmm. sure that I'm safe here. But here we go. So, Boss, uh, famously, for those of you who listen to the podcast or, or if you're new to it, Boss uh, famously has uh, two dead dads. Correct. And um, both of whom, um, I believe, um, t- took their own lives, Boss? No, 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 no. no. Okay. Sorry. My, my dad, dad number one, uh, my yeah. actual dad, um, he did die by suicide. Got my it. stepdad who I liked significantly less, uh, he actually died of a drug overdose. Oh, okay. So, like, kind of suicide by a long direction? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. No, the long well, way around. So, we, uh, the reason I've been, um, it, it's always good to have an expert on panel. And, um, <laughs> and uh, but the reason Holy that, the reason that I've been uh, uh, hesitant to get to this point is his boss has very um, specific <sighs> and experienced feelings about this. Let me uh, let me go through and say, boss, I'm going to give you the floor. But, okay. um, he says he hated him for that. Um, uh, and um, he says he still thinks he hates him for it. And, you know, Dr. Uh, Sharon Nod says, I think you do, Ted. Um, and she says, it's okay. It's like, you know, what happened with your father is a difficult thing for anyone to make sense of, uh, especially his teenage son. So Ted is, they have chosen to, um, to give some insight into where Ted comes from. Uh, he says, yeah, okay. Well, well, hold on, hold on. Because I, I think there are a couple of things here and I think it actually does. It will matter also because I am, I am very much wanting to have that conversation because I think Boston does have some amazing insight, obvious insight. The quit thing is so significant. It is what he said when he finally let go of the family he'd constructed to, I mean, the quitting, I mean, 
it's it's so much it's so core it is so core to who ted is and to, to to be provided this glimpse into an origin story at least of that part of him i think is deeply significant and then following that in a in an episode where we have a lot of prescribed emotions, you should be happy. We got to go act sad. Doctor Sharon's like, "That's cool. You hate him for that. I get it. I, mean, I think it's a really there's a there's another version of this where the person says, "Oh, we mustn't hate," or "But he's still your father," or whatever they say. And she's like, "Nah, you know." That's how you feel. If that's how you feel, that's how you feel. And I, I think both those things are significant. As a yeah, the, the validation of his feelings, yeah, that is important. The val- to validate that it's okay that he feels how he feels. Um, there, so we have two things going on here. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want to blast through this. I want to get through the language so that we can, we can have the space for Boss to talk. And I don't want to have to go back and do the other stuff. So we go back to the ch- – uh, she says, okay, why don't you share with me what happened? Is what Dr. Stone says. We cut back to the church. It's just Rebecca and Deborah in the room now. Deborah asks Rebecca if she knows what she's going to say in her eulogy. Rebecca says, I don't want to do a eulogy. Rebecca, it would look awful if you didn't say anything at your own father's funeral. I don't care. I've got nothing nice to say, Rebecca says. Well, what's got into you? He was a good father, a wonderful husband. Oh, was he? Rebecca says. <laughs> what are you so angry about? Deb says. I don't want to talk about it. Not today. Oh, stop acting like a child. So what's interesting is stop acting like a child was not the tone at all of I know who she's sleeping with and it's good. Like th- this is like a, we're back. Like a, yeah. Yeah. Right. Jekyll and Hyde. Sort yeah, of thing. yeah. We're back. Um, okay. Rebecca says, fine. You really want to know because I'm so sick of keeping secrets. Dad cheated on you. And I saw it when you were away and I was meant to be staying the night with Sassy. I even remember the date. It was Friday the 13th, 1990. One. And then we cut to one. Right. Oof. And now we're with Ted. And, and this is the point, this little thing. The intercutting of these moments has been a point of contention for a lot of people. It was specifically sort of a kernel of proof for Ted Becca truthers who were like, obviously, they're star-crossed lovers. They're going to, like, the biggest event of their young lives happened on the same exact same day. Uh, we get 1991 by Marcus Mumford playing um, underneath the scene. Ted says in September, uh, you know, Friday the 13th, 1991, in September, I remember the date because me and a bunch of high school buddies we're going to do a marathon of all the Jason movies that night. So uh, for those people uh, listening outside the, uh, the U.S. or didn't know what that reference was, there's a series of horror films, the Friday the 13th movies. I think most people know them, but I'll mention it. So I came home to school as usual, and I went up to my room to we cut back to Rebecca. Make a bottle of wine from your drinks cabinet. And as we opened the door, I heard, bang, we're back to Ted. Back to Rebecca. So we went to investigate. And there he was, Ted says. Now, Rebecca says, in all his glory, with his arse in the air, with Mrs. Reynolds screaming his name, and Sassy didn't say anything for the first time in her life, which you can imagine. Right, right. That would be the first time Sassy. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Screamed and choked, cried, Ted says, and back to Rebecca. And he came running after me in his dressing gown, begging me to stop. But I just uh, cut to Ted. Ran upstairs, called 911, went to the fridge. Grabbed one of his Coors Lights, mm-hmm, drank that. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about Oof, that. That's a big. We'll word. Yeah, we'll talk that. about that. Yep. Then I came, called my mom at work, and let her know she needed to come. Oof. I, I, we're going to talk about all. I know. This, so let's I know. Keep going. keep going. Keep going. 
And the next day when I came back, this is Rebecca. He said nothing about it. And that is why I'm so fucking angry. Okay. It's why I always hated him. And I still hate him. I know, says Deb. No, you don't know how I feel. We're staying now in with Rebecca and, and Deb. Um, but Deb says, I know. No, you don't know how I feel. Rebecca says, I mean, I know about his cheating. All of it, says Deb. Okay. That's another huge, huge bombshell. You knew and you did nothing. Rebecca says, of course I knew. I, I know everything. And Rebecca says, then I hate you too. I hate you for letting him treat you like that. Okay. Now, almost done. I'm sorry that we're back to Ted. We have now heard the story. We've now heard that he found his dad. We've heard that he took got a course light. We've heard that he called his mom and said she had to come home and called 911. I'm sorry that that happened to you, Ted, Dr. Stone. Yeah, me too. And I understand why you're angry with him. He took a lot away from you, Dr. Stone says. And my mom. And your mom, yes. I'm curious about something. What what he was like, Dr. Stone said. He was a real good man, real chatterbox, believe it or not, which I thought was a cute line. Yeah, she uh, smiles. Probably could have. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, probably could have been a bit, a little bit better listening box at times. Um, what did you love about him, Doctor Stone said? Why? Well, you told me what you hate about him. I'd love to hear something you remember that made you feel good. And now uh, Ted says, when I was in fifth or sixth grade, there was this book called Johnny Tremaine, and our homework for like a month was to read this book. At the end of the month, I hadn't read a lick of it, you know? And we had a test, a big test the next day. And the night before, I was anxious as all heck, and I couldn't sleep. My dad starts getting after me about that, and I start crying. Whoa, buddy, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I tell him what's up, and he says, hey, don't worry about it. Just go up to your room, lay your head on your pillow, and think about something you're looking forward to. So that's what I did. Next morning, I wake up, and he says, hey, you ain't going to ride your bike to school. I'm going to drive you. And I'm like, all right. And all the way to school, he talked me through the entire book, like – it's a bedtime story or something. He stayed up all night, the whole night, reading the whole damn thing because he didn't want his boy stressed out over some stupid, silly test. I think this would be You're right. I'm having a hard time throwing, holding it together. Yeah, no, this one and got I, me too. And I ended up getting an A. He was a coach. Will you take it from here? Yeah. He was a good dad, and I don't think he knew that. I think he would. Uh, you jerk. I think if he would have known how good he was. <laughs> At stuff he didn't really care about being good at. I don't think he would have done what he... And I wish I would have told him. I wish I would have told him more. I was just so angry at him because he was always going to work and just out with friends or something like that. And then he was gone. And I knew right then and there I was never going to let anybody get by me without understanding that they might be hurting inside. Life, it's hard. Real hard. Yeah. She says, thank you, Ted. Um, Ted says, I don't know if this is illegal or something, but can I have a hug? And I love that. He gives, she said, yeah. And she gives him a hug. He says, are you going to charge me for this session? She says, of course I am, for the house call. And he says, I appreciate your integrity. She says, you're welcome. Okay. Oh, so many things. All right. You want to? I mean, there's Emily, more of the em Rebecca and Deborah. No, we're going to do... Uh, there, it's a separate okay, okay, thing for okay. me, especially. Yeah, no, that uh, Listen, we can talk about the choice to intercut. Whether it has, whether that was a good choice, we can talk. We can we can talk from a tactical perspective about whether or not this works, um, or whether whether or not it, it it aided the story, or it was a good mechanism. But more importantly, let's let Boss have the floor and explain um, her perspective. So, oh man. 
Probably you guys should have had me read all of that because I definitely would have gotten least choked up. <laughs> uh, part, partly because of who we are as people. Um, I, I understand where they're coming from in this scene. I understand what they were trying to accomplish. I don't think they did the job that was needed to be done in order for them to use this scene. Like if you are going to talk about suicide, Mm-hmm. you can't take the idea of suicide and stretch it across the framing of Ted Lasso. You need to talk about what suicide actually is and how it impacts people mm-hmm. and then incorporate that reality into Ted's story. Mm. So very specifically, there are two things that he says that Ted himself, Ted the character, says about suicide that I needed Ted Lasso the show to then step in and say, actually, Ted, that's that's not accurate. Mm. Like that's not right. Okay. The because the first thing that Ted says is um, he quit. He quit on his family. Uh, he quit on himself, and I hate him for that. I understand why Ted Lasso the person, especially because once he hit sixteen, he never again processed through his dad's death. I understand mm-hmm. why he would feel that mm-hmm. way, but. Ted Lasso is the protagonist of the story. He's the new man. He is the one that is supposed to be in touch with his feelings and supposed to be a role model for other people in thinking about how you deal with mental health and emotional aspects. And what he says is my dad quit and nobody ever challenges him on that. And framing suicide, framing people who die from suicide as as quitters Mm -hmm is detrimental to people who are currently suffering with suicidal ideation Mm. and extremely unhelpful for people who have had close loved ones die by suicide. Mm. It is, it is a really bad way of framing suicide. It isn't good for anybody involved. It's one of the negative stereotypes that we have about people who die by suicide. And also part of the reason why people feel so uncomfortable discussing loved ones that they've lost in this way, or also just people who are struggling day to day to not have suicidal ideation. Like this idea. To many people though, boss, to many people that would be a normal response. Like, Oh, he quit. I I think that's a very common. Just, can you just enlighten us about it's fine. It's fine that Ted Lasso, the character thought that. We needed to see Dr. Sharon step in and say like, hey, Ted, I know that you're mad and we can talk. We can do all of the therapy that you need to do to process through your anger towards him. But framing it this way is hurtful, unhelpful to your dad. Uh, Sorry, framing it this way is unfair to your dad and unhelpful to you. How how should it be framed? Actually, that's a really great question. And one of the things that I am, there are a lot of times where I think that this scene wasn't for me. This scene is not, the rom-com episode is not for me. The Christmas episode is not for Mm -hmm, me. That's fine. mm I am willing to like say that didn't hit right for me, but for other people, that's okay. But shouldn't the scene be for you more than any other scene? Like this scene should be for, and what would it have made, what would have made this hit the right way for you? I needed them to do their research. This is this is a time where it is not that the writers did something and I didn't love it. It is that the writers took on a challenge and failed. They 
needed to do a lot more work here. So I'm, 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 I don't know what to call it because I'm certainly not disagreeing because I am absolutely (laughs) agreeing that you have um, a level of insight here that I just. You guys can hurt my feelings. Fundamentally wouldn't have. So, right. So I'm just, so I'm out of the gate. Um, So as resident uh, Ted Lasso apologist, or so I've been told, um, when Dr. Sharon takes us to, the way I experienced it was sort of what coach was saying and what you said, which is what a lot of people, how a lot of people would react. And then I took her saying, what'd you love about him?" as a step in the direction of we're going to need to be able to look at all this differently, but like not, how do I how do I frame this? I guess it comes out of parenting in some ways. Like there's some things that I want to communicate to my kids that I say A B C, and then there are other things that I ask something related to A because mm-hmm, I want mm-hmm. them to walk through. So the experience yes. I had, and again, I'm not saying right. I'm just saying the experience I had in this scene was. Just by getting him to remember a good memory, he humanized his own father, and then he was able to recognize how much pain his father must have been in, how difficult life was for his father, and and what he's in part talking about with all his anger is, I wish I had told him, maybe if I would have told him, he wouldn't have done it. That's guilt. It's not healthy, but I think it's part of like to me, I took this as like part of the processing, whereas I, I, I think for you, it landed as it was supposed to be the sum total, not the sum total, but you know what I mean? Like I, I took it as much more of a yeah. step toward than an answer. And so I'm, I'm curious yeah. what your take is on that. So a couple of things, one of which is I think if ever there were I think you're right in saying that this is not the sum total, that this is part of the process. What I think is that because of the fact that we don't discuss suicide that much and because this show wanted to tackle that, if there were ever a time for a PSA, it is now. What you do is you put out all of the information because there might be people watching who have never lost someone to suicide that thinks, oh, well, they're angry because that guy quit. And even if they think, well, he might have been a good guy, he might have been a good dad, he might have done all these other things, that doesn't negate the fact that they believe he quit. Mm. You need to very explicitly draw the line between they didn't quit, they lost. Like, this is one of the things that we framed in such a fucked up way, it makes me crazy. If there were somebody battling cancer, if they had had cancer for seven years, and at the end of seven years, they were like, well, we're going to do another round of chemo. And that cancer patient said like, I'm fucking tired. I don't want to do any more surgeries. I don't want to do any more therapies. Like I want to go home. I want to be with my family. I want this to be the end. We would understand that. We would be comfortable with that. And when somebody is battling mental health issues, depression, or undiagnosed bipolar disorder, or substance abuse, we think, well, why won't you keep fighting? Like, why are you fucking giving up? And that's so unfair to the person. Like, that is wildly unkind to frame it that way. The way that you actually 
are encouraged to frame it for kids in order to make sure that you're putting it as at a, a gentle enough level while still being honest is they were sick. Their sickness was in their head or their brain. It made them incredibly sad, sad in a way that most people don't get. They hurt themselves because of that. And then they died. And all of those things are true. None of those things are quitting. Absolutely none of that is quitting. And framing it as quitting then makes it so that we're angry at them because they didn't continue living in really significant and severe pain in order to spare us from dealing with the pain of their death. Like the shit that we say about people who die by suicide is they quit. They weak. They were weak. They gave up. They were selfish. If Coach Beard's dad had died in 1991 uh, by suicide, the church that he probably attended would have said, that guy's going to hell and we're not giving him a funeral because he died by suicide. Because the Catholic Church still said that up until 1992. Like, we say really terrible things about people that die in this way. And this doesn't negate it enough. Like, you can't just say, I feel like he quit. The show needs to say, like, he didn't quit. He was so sad that life killed him. He was so sad that he couldn't stay alive anymore. Yeah. And that isn't, I can't be angry about that. Yeah. Like that's. Yeah. I guess, you know, it's, it's interesting. Well, first of all, I want to thank you because I, I like, no, seriously, I, I think one, you know, the generosity of sharing that. And then also you have, you have a truly, I mean, as, as, as specific an experience to speak to this as is possible i mean jesus uh just like dead on oh yeah but i guess not but and i'm wondering if well i'll share this i probably have on in some ways already i i've been i've been suicidal before um i've mm-hmm. i've you know and I, it's something i've talked about publicly and written about so it's not um and so i'm i'm now listening to you and looking at the 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 notes we have here and i'm wondering if if we always do this, but I'm wondering if I infused the scene and Ted's speech with some things that weren't there, like that I brought to this particular party. So that's why I'm, yeah. I'm really asking it in real time, like as we're talking, because again, for me, when he says, you know, and I knew right then and there I was never going to let anybody get by me without understanding that they might be hurting inside as opposed because he could have said, I knew right then and there I would never fuck with anybody else who I thought was a quitter, which isn't what he says that for me, that carried some of what you're saying around. Like, that's not fair. He was in pain. I couldn't, I didn't necessarily say the right things, which is a whole, again, a whole other set of things that can be unhealthy about like, maybe I could have made it different. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that's, I think I may have add, I think I, I, I'd want to watch it again with this conversation in mind. And maybe I brought some things to the party, but I think where I was disconnecting when you were saying like, this doesn't work, this doesn't work. And I wasn't getting why you were saying it didn't work. I think I was infusing some, I, I guess yeah. I was familiar enough with that state of being that the idea that it was just like you quit as if you like reset some video game. <laughs> like I know it's not mm-hmm. that. So I'm a, so, but I, 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 I'm hearing you. I am hearing you. 
well, thank you. I like, I also very much appreciate that. Um, and also it just, uh, I, I'd like that you said that it was similar. I was thinking about it. Uh, Ted's dad. So Ted was 16 when his dad died in 1991 in Kansas city. And I was 12 when my dad died in 94 in Chicago. So like, a few years yeah, apart, but seriously. a few states apart. Like it's pretty, it's pretty similar. It's if if they needed a consultant, I could have submitted a resume. But that's beside the point. I I would also like to point out, uh, just because it did fucking bother me, they have a football consultant credited on this episode. They do not have a mental health consultant, and that's one of the things where I'm like, guys, mm-hmm. you work at fucking Apple, you have the internet. You should have taken that step. That is a major oversight. Okay. But I hear you. I feel like they what they were really interested in telling was Ted's version of a suicide. They were not interested in doing suicide prevention advocacy. Right, right, right. And maybe, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be tasking them with that, but if you are going to represent it in a way that feels lacking to me, then I can't say you did the scene well. Especially well, when you don't have the background required for it. That's what you've always conveyed to me, boss, is you said, listen, they shouldn't have, this isn't the right show for this. It's a, it's a, yeah. it's like a bad choice. Like if they weren't going to go the whole way with it, yes. I really wish they had given him a different sort of hang up or, yeah. you know, that's sort of yeah. And just very quickly to say, I think, uh, castles, or, no, sorry, coach Bishop, you said, you know, that he was never going to let anybody else walk past him without saying it. I understand where they're coming from with that. But again, that also, there is such a difference between what we need to do when we're talking about suicide prevention and what we're talking about when we're talking about death by suicide processing. And the first half of that might be that you say, like, can I do anything? Is there anything I could help? There's also, like, no way for individuals to actually make a significant difference in a lot of these things. We're talking, like, reducing racism and sexism and homophobia and transphobia and income inequality, those things actually do a shit ton to prevent suicide saying like, can I, how are you doing? Unfortunately, not the same that like just on a a, a person to person basis, it unfortunately is rarely effective. If we had significantly better healthcare and mental healthcare system, that might improve it. But me checking in on you, unfortunately, no, it doesn't do it. Um, it, the other thing is that they are talking about a very specific relationship with a death by suicide. They, I think we're tapping into, this is how suicide in general feels. And what they are giving us is this is a kid who lost his father to suicide. And that is a different relationship. Yes. That is, yes. that, yeah, that, because that isn't even... I've already mentioned before, but um, Osling B, who did lose her dad to suicide, said, I didn't want to hear that he wasn't in his right mind, because if I were important enough to him, I should have put him in his right mind before he did anything. So the the question for kids who lose their dads that way, especially when they're younger, when they're, you know, teenagers are under, isn't like, I'm so angry that you left. The question is also often, why wasn't I worth staying for? Yes, then, and I'm aware of that. I'm not. I haven't experienced yeah. that. I'm aware. Yeah, no, of that. no, no. But like, but, but I guess my question would be, 
and I and I, I'm again, I'm really glad to make the distinction between Ted Lasso, the character, and what has happened here, and your feeling that there's a an overarching responsibility if you're going to wade into these waters, which I have a whole thing about with, mm-hmm. with comedy as well, by the way. So I get what you, I, I get that piece of that instinct. I really did experience really both stories and I didn't mind them being intertwined and we'll get to the sort of the mechanics of this sequence. That part of us, what it also captured for me in the work I've done it with the way it resonated was that part of us, remains in the place of the trauma until we yeah. deal with it. And yes. I may have already shared this, so I'll you know, just be quick, but there, there, there's sort of like an origin story trauma. I mean, I'll share this. I don't know why I'm acting like a goddamn secret after I've told everything else about my life. But so my basically my first memory of my life quickly is um, crying. That is, how, that is my mm-hmm. earliest memory of my life Wait, is what? me crying. And I was no, 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 no. It's true. This is true. This is I'm no bullshit. I did not. <laughs> yeah, no. This is, no, this is not I something I talk about wow. very often. And I'll and I'll actually tell you why in a second. Um, and and I was crying. I was on out on our you know porch uh, where I lived up until age five when my parents got divorced, and my parents had just had a fight. So I'm crying, and I could very clearly picture like anybody who's lived in the city where the, the, the used to have those orange street lights, and and I could mm-hmm. see sort of like the light and the streaks off the lights. If you ever looked at a light bulb when you're crying and that kind of, so I can see all that in the night. I can see it. And I was just inconsolable. And my father telling me everything was okay. And that was like, man, the number of things that's impacted in my years is really quite astounding. But when I would even think of the story until like the last couple of years, and I've done therapy before, when I would even think of the story, I would, I would choke up, and it, I didn't choke up mm-hmm. as a man remembering a thing that happened to a child. I was three again. Yeah, yeah. Like it was not, and I was, mm-hmm. I was aware of that, and I would like, and it, and so, <clears throat> in a way, what did work for me in the sequence? Again, talking about the show now, not the overarching responsibility is there is a 16-year-old in this room telling his story. And yeah. maybe Ted Lasso, the man who's done the kind of work that we're talking about and who has the 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 the, the awareness to say, you know, if that's a joke, I think it's hilarious. And if that's not, if it's not, I can't wait to unpack that with you. That guy might be able to say, well, suicide is X, Y, and Z in a logical way. But the 16-year-old inside of him who needs the healing you gave up dude and that's why i didn't go to your funeral and that's why i hate you and look what you did to me and mom yeah and i completely understand that i think that that would have been this would have been a really great scene to start discussing what ted needs to do in order to process that stuff yeah yeah but if this is all that we get Mm -hmm. then this we needed more than this. We needed the show to step in and say more than Got this it. because we, so this, I'm going to play a fun game real quick. I'm going to ask you guys right now to think of a movie or TV show that deals with the aftermath of a suicide. Like that actually goes through the, somebody dies by suicide and then they deal with it. And I'm going to sort of vamp for a couple of seconds here to try to give you guys 
uh, just a second to think of anything. And I'm wondering if you're coming up with anything in particular. This is going to be a way to phrase it, but you mean a successful, (laughs) a successful suicide attempt? Yes, a successful suicide attempt. And then a movie that like enough people know that when I say my childhood is kind of like, hey, so have you guys seen Shameless? Because that's a well, that it's going to give you some insight into my child. Like just Mm -mm. anything. anything. So one of my favorites is that people often say uh, ordinary people. But that's not true. But there's no suicide. No, it's not a suicide. There's a suicide. It's funny because I thought of ordinary people, and I was like, "Yeah, that's why I asked." That's why I asked my clarifying question. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, so I feel like Thelma and Louise. Not the aftermath. Not dealing with the aftermath. Dealing with the there are there are a lot of movies. um, It's like empowering, kind of the the act, but not the yes. They also do have a number of, especially Japanese films that are like the artist struggles with life, and I'm sure that those are wonderful. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, When I was googling to see like movies, if I was like, I must be missing something. There must be something out there. I specifically googled for movies where a parent dies by suicide, and one of the top results was The Prestige. Which, if you've seen The Prestige, is fucking hilarious. Like, I love The Prestige. And so knowing the entire plot, I'm like, well, that's that's fucking wild that that's one of IMDb's top results. Great job, guys. Um, so I, I think in this case, what we needed to see was not an instance of trauma where somebody is stunted at the age where the trauma happens. What we need to see is some indication of what happens when you are processing through that trauma. And we just, we don't get enough. I got you. Like, I understand what they're hinting at. I think that they don't do, I will say I am actively unhappy with them, not forcefully refuting the idea that people who die by suicide quit Mm -hmm. that I am. I am angry with them at that. I understand what they were going for, but they had a responsibility in this case to make sure that they added on a, Hey, by the way, that's, that's not a great way of thinking about it. Yeah. I think I brought a, everybody knows that to the party that didn't really belong there. Like I shouldn't say didn't belong there, but but certainly that impacted my experience of it. And I think you're right to say, no, everybody doesn't know that that's that's the part that kills me um oh god we're gonna get to an episode where all three of us choke up a little bit and this is gonna be somebody mark this where i i'm gonna try to get through this without crying because god knows i hate talking about feelings and even more than that i hate sharing actually displaying them but um uh jamie raskin uh u.s representative member of congress uh his son died a few years ago by suicide and the family was very open about it and they wanted to make sure that they didn't hide anything and that they talked about, I believe his son's name is Tommy, but I need to double check that. Um, but he had struggled with mental health issues. He was 25. He wasn't that old, but he'd already struggled a lot. And his farewell note, which is the way that I'm going to be referring to them explicitly from now on said, uh, please forgive me. My illness won today. <laughs> oh, all right. I mostly did it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I just like, wow. he was 25. He didn't have anything that he needed to be forgiven for. Mm. He like struggled and then he lost. Mm. Like, 
So if people in 2020 are still feeling like if this is how they die, that they did something that needs forgiveness, I feel like we haven't done a good enough job of making sure that they know that they shouldn't feel that way. I wish there was an easier way to frame it. So, because I don't like the quitting thing, but the way that people view it is like, Oh, life is hard. And the people that give up quit or whatever, you know, that's, that's, but that's not the, it's clearly not like the, the, the the correct framing. So, you know, is it like, uh, like when he says, Oh, the, the ailment uh, won today or something like that. It's the, still, the illness won today. Yeah. It's still a contentious thing or a mm. fight based thing or something. You know what I mean? It's like a struggle. And maybe like the framing should be around struggle or, or you know, the continued, uh, maybe it's a burden instead of, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of like how, how to make it much more. What's an allegory that, that, that would make it, sort of more accessible to your average Joe who, who would think, I, th- I think many people think of it as quitting. Um, yeah. And so, you know, just like a lay- in layman's terms, uh, like what's something that, that could, could reframe it. I, I wonder, I wonder if th- maybe it's just too complicated uh, to, to sort of fit neatly into, into a categorization, but um, it would be helpful to, to have some. I, I guess. <sighs> There's a there's a value judgment and I because I want to be mindful and I so I'm gonna actually I'll just say this to start and then we can go so I feel like I could trip over words here and say not precise as precisely as I would like what I mean but what I'd like to say is maybe there's something around the idea of quitting we also need to look at um, yeah and I say that yeah. as a person the number of times I've ended up with somebody who either represented an employer or who was the employer saying to me, yeah, I, we probably should not do this anymore is almost exactly equal to the number of times that well before that I went, Jesus Christ, what have I fucking gotten myself into? And <laughs> it's almost a one-to-one that, that Venn diagram is a circle as they say. And, and, and I've more than once thought like, what, is it in me that faced with this fucking sucks and is clearly not a fit that makes me go, all right, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll tough it out. I'll, uh, I'll, you know, I'll go talk to so-and-so and I'll figure out. I'll, let me look at what other people are doing in this job. It's like, well, maybe it's just not the fucking job for you. And maybe quitting, like, I, that was like number one maybe it was very close to the top of my list for things with my own children that I was like, we ain't gonna be raised as little quitters around here. And there's some good around that. Mm-hmm. But there's something between being a quitter and knowing when to quit that I think yeah. we don't know. We don't, I don't think we societally appreciate and and I think it, it it costs us. So I say all that to say, not with the value judgment, not with the moral sort of judgment of it, but in a basic way, if Tommy Raskin, I assume his last name was Raskin, said, you know what, man, whether it's been a year or two years or five years or 10 years or whatever, I have done the stick and move with this fucking depression 
and I'm I'm all set. Yeah, I part of me almost wishes that we could say he quit fighting it without it being a way to or or without it feeling like we're maligning him. Like maybe yes. that's yeah, maybe that's part of our conversation too. Is like maybe and again, I'm not saying like. You've got a friend who wants to commit suicide. You encourage them to, you know, I mean, like, you <laughs> no, know what I'm saying? No, but I am no, saying I know, like, I know. yeah, I had a client. It's not the exact same thing, but I think you'll get why I thought of her. And she reached out to me because she was a colleague in the first place. And then she reached out to me. She had, she'd had cancer and had gone through chemo and some stuff. And then now was, was back. And and so she was essentially deciding. She wanted me to coach her through the decision of whether to do chemo again. Heavy shit, mm-hmm. right? Like this ain't like, yeah. hey, I think I want to lose 10 pounds. Like I was like, okay, here we fucking go. And at first I was very um like, hey, so how do you want to handle this? And she and she let me know without going through the whole conversation that like, no, 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 no. I need coach Orlando. Like, I need you. <laughs> <laughs> to kick my ass and make me go do yeah. this, whatever. And we we went through the process and it was actually pain, painful for me emotionally for her in all the ways and but also beautiful. But had she said like you pointed out the example earlier, that's probably why she was on my mind. Had she said, "Yo man, chemo sucks." Really? Yeah. For another three fucking months of life or six fucking months of life, I'm supposed to do that again? I'm all set. Why does that quote quitting, why do we judge it so harshly? And I think there's some like basic biological stuff wound up in that and like survival instinct. And we want to discourage that action because we feel like, no, 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 Mm -hmm. we've got to keep as much of the tribe here as we can. I'm not... You know, I'm I'm not qualified to explain all the reasons why. But I, I think yes to everything you said about it not being quote unquote quitting, but I also think we need to get clearer about what we mean by quitting. It's it to me it's like um Yes. It's like saying water, right? Like yes, a cup of water is water and the ocean is water and a lake is water and a, yes. right. So like we need more words. Yes. We need glacier and droplet and we don't have them right now. So Quitting is quitting is quitting, and I think it's not to anybody's benefit. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that uh, what you're touching on is number one. We have extremely different perspectives when it is a physical ailment or a physical limitation versus what we qualify as a mental 100%. limitation or 100%. mental ailment. Um, my uh, older sister and I both have done a lot of work. She's done more than me. She's significantly my I don't know maybe she would disagree with significant but she is she is very functional um and one of the things that she and I have to say to each other sometimes is if she were missing a limb you wouldn't be angry with her Mm. like when dealing with a family member who might be a woman who doesn't listen to this podcast uh, I'm not going to narrow it down further than that but we say (laughs) if if her limitation were physical, we would not be angry. Yeah. We would understand. Yeah. But because it's like, you're 30 fucking minutes late again, we're like, why the fucking... Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. number one, yes, there is that difference. Number two, I think that you are very precisely pointing out the imprecision of 
what we do when we are encouraging somebody to prevent a suicide and how we are reviewing it after this happened. And that there are two different things to that. The first one, you want to make sure I have given you every resource, every option, every treatment, everything that I can put towards this problem, I'm going to try to do because we don't want you to hurt yourself and don't want you to be gone. And we don't want you to do this. And that after the fact, we sort of say, we honor and acknowledge the struggle that the person went through. Like we say, yeah, that shit was really hard. We get Mm -hmm. why you couldn't keep doing it. We understand. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that there is something to be said. Like we do say that somebody lost their battle with cancer. Like we make it a fight and we also say they lost and we feel okay with that. Whereas we don't feel okay with it when it is a mental health issue. So there's like that aspect of it. Um, I I think a lot actually. Yeah. I, I think that if what people started staying instead was I'm ready we wouldn't feel like it was such a Ooh, now. Like one way or the Ooh, other. You starting some real trouble now. <laughs> oh, you starting some real trouble now because now we're now we're talking about mortality. We're talking about embracing death. I mean, you're, yes, we're, we we yeah. are in a country where people are seriously yes. have had their heads amputated at death so they could be frozen. Because, hey, you Ugh. never know. You never right. know. So, I mean, we are pretty goddamn far from society You're... being good about saying, I'm ready. Like, that is... I, I, where was yeah. it? I want to say Germany. I could be off. It was in a, it was in um, How to Change Your Mind, the uh, Netflix documentary. But someone was just talking about the experience they had. And, and, that and I had never heard of this. This person was having these unbelievable, like, daily headaches. Like, such pain that his hair had been falling out because his body was just like, you know, you just can't experience that kind of pain every day and be okay. And he explained that there were these, essentially these centers, these, I don't know, hospital centers, whatever you want to call it, where people go when they're, you know, ready to go. And I thought the level of chaos and protest and evangelicals mm-hmm. praying mm-hmm. and picketing. Mm-hmm. If you tried anything, <laughs> if you tried to open a place that had a pamphlet about that hospital, what you would face, like we're just really far from what you described, but I think there's something powerful to be said for that. I mean, even when they talk about older couples and, you know, one dies and they're like, yeah. you know, and I'm, and I'm like, part of me gets it where you're like, what the fuck, man? I'm all set. Like yeah. my buddy's gone, and you yeah. know, thanks for the thanks for the memories, y'all. But I'm out of here. Like I get. I mean, I understand. I, I I'm not saying it makes me happy, but I understand. No, it, but it, it. But yes, I think that it it is that compulsion. Not yeah. No, I'm gonna go with compulsion. It's a compulsion on society's part to say live every single day regardless of the quality yes. or regardless of like yes. whether you want to be like yes. when I say I'm taking myself out at 80, I am being mostly serious. Like it might be 82, but I am not sticking around until the bitter end. This is not true blood. I will take myself out. No one who came up like, with the trebuchet situation is fucking around. Let's just, so I'm not, so, I'm not yeah, fucking around. No, no. no. 
like, and by the time I'm 80, my, like the people my age will probably have passed on or will be close to it. And I will like explain to my nibblings, we're going to go hang out and then I'm, and that, and then I'm ready. And like, I, I think that having a less fearful relationship with death would impact a lot of the things that we're talking about with suicide and death in general. And it's something we need to be moving towards. And it's something that I would like to see represented in popular culture a lot more than it is. Now, in the context of the overall episode, maybe the series, but let's talk about the episode for a second. I think a lot of this episode is around showing up for people, how people do and don't show up for one another. And there's some stuff that's coming up later in the episode I think is also beautiful around that. Um, and I and I guess I'm wondering, boss, there's part of me that feel that recognizes Ted felt abandoned. I imagine mm-hmm, I would feel mm-hmm. abandoned. I imagine everybody sure. could get why one would feel abandoned. I guess my question is how what what's your take on how to process that piece or like because it does feel I mean it feels like that. I remember I, I actually remember specifically thinking Looking down into my kid's crib, for those who don't know this through all the hours, my mother died in March and my kids were born in May. So, like, it's a lot of emotion for a pretty small pocket of time. Yeah. And I remember two really sort of big things emotionally that I I found myself thinking about as I looked at them. One was, holy shit, I set you, who didn't even fucking exist before I got my big ideas, I set you up for this experience. That is fucking awful. And I am really sorry. But the other one was, well, if I was going to commit suicide, I shouldn't say commit. If I was going to die by suicide, (laughs) I needed to have done it before now because these motherfuckers didn't ask to be here. And now it's my job to see them through. Now, that may be healthy on it. Whatever. For me, it was like, if you suffer, you suffer you did this and they didn't ask for it. So your job is to see them through to adulthood best you can. Um, yeah. And those two things came up a lot. So when they, the abandonment thing did resonate, even though I mm-hmm. recognize mm-hmm. the like unfairness of it. If I, if when my kids were five, I died of cancer, no one would be like that fucking asshole. That motherfucker. Right. That so I, yeah, I don't right. know. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I'm, I'm having, I'm, I don't even know if I'm articulating it well, but I'm having a hard time. Like, putting these pieces together in a way that, that, that feels like, okay, that's the picture. It's, it's very, it's very messy. No, it, well, that is because it is a very messy. Um, and I would like to touch on it. I, I think I'll probably come back to this more than a few times over the rest of our conversation on this. Um, I think that what is most important to understand about the feeling of abandonment when your parents either do abandon you or they die by suicide, which is a form of abandonment, is that your brain interprets that to say they left me. Right. What's so bad about me? Yeah. Like, what is it about me that right. made you feel like you could leave? Right. And the answer is they weren't even thinking about you. Which doesn't sound great. That sounds really shitty. But no, the, the real you. answer is, yeah. the answer is, is that because you are interpreting it for yourself, you think you did something that made them leave. And the order of events is 
they left. So you felt like you were worth leaving. So you just need to like, it's a, it's, it's, I fucking spent 18 months. It's, um, oh my God, a TV show. I'm not going to say which one, cause I don't want to do even minor spoilers, but one of the characters said, uh, you left because I suck. And the character that left said, I left because I suck. I am tremendously mm. messed up. What I did had literally nothing to do with you. And I was like, I was watching it. I was like, mother, I felt like the guy that uh, when uh, Donald Jr. tweeted out all of his crimes, he was like, he just tweeted it out. I was like, I did fucking 18 <laughs> months of therapy to get to this point. You motherfuckers just tweeted out on this one episode of TV right, show. Right, like, right, right. The, but, but that was all of it. Like it was working through and figuring out the relationship where you could say you left because you had issues. It had nothing to do with me. And that is always going to be painful and difficult for people who have people who die by suicide. But we need to be talking about that part. What we don't need to be talking about is he quit. Like this is what should be front and center that they left because they were suffering. They didn't mm-hmm. leave because you were worth leaving. Mm-hmm. That's hard. That's 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 hard. That's hard. Oh yeah, yeah. it's fucking wild. Yeah. It's goddamn wild how hard that shit is. Yeah. Jesus Christ! If anybody needs a therapist, just hit me up. I will <laughs> give you a name. Well, thank you both for that uh, that conversation. It's been a long time coming. Um, it really is helpful to get that insight. We all are trying to better ourselves, and you know, it's one of those things where. Uh, it, it's such a it's such a tricky situation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's just really tricky, and there's all kinds of things around it that are tricky, and it also in the wrong hands it can be used as a as a tool. Like you know, there's I don't want to get into it, but it's like oh, you know, it's like a if you say if you say like in uh, I, I, there's this this thing that happened in one of our local schools where um, someone was a high school uh, aged uh, woman. Uh, young lady was bullying, cyberbullying some people, and they went, you know, to get her. As soon as the punishment came in, she she was, you know, threatened to to take her own life. And then it was, then it sort of it pivoted, and then it was about that, and not about, you know, what I mean. And like, and then she didn't, and then went to college and bullied somebody else, and then did the thing again. And you know, so there's this. It can be like this weird. We don't know how to handle it because we're so messed up around mortality. Um, we have a tough, it's, it's just a tough topic. And so, yes, um, I really appreciate all of the framing that you guys have done. Boss, thanks for, uh, uh, for, for unearthing that, that yeah. much emotion. Yeah, that was, um, that was, oh, for sure. That was, yeah. That's important. And now I'm going to close it back up for this decade. There you go. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Check. Um, well, um, we, I, 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 I wanted to say earlier when we were going through this, the intercutting scenes, I said, oh, we're going to deal with this, this, um, the Ted part of it. And I didn't want to suggest that the Rebecca part of it and her trauma, like, I don't want to sound like, oh, the, ma- the man's issue is more no. important. I just wanted to give boss the, the floor that we've been uh, meaning to give her for a long time. We will start next time, um, with Rebecca's side of it, which is, uh, you know, no, no less poignant. Um, but, um, we definitely wanted it. This is a talk we've been meaning to, to get to for quite a while. Yeah. I just like to toss in when, as we do deal with the Rebecca piece, I do think there's value in talking about the series, but just, I think it's generally sort of an interesting storytelling 
choice they made around these intertwining things, around them having happened on the same date. Uh, you know, anyway, it, by this being broken up, we could lose that part. And I, and I, it's obviously very much a choice that was made. So I think we should, you know, at least address it. Yeah, well, we'll we'll pick it up right there with our next episode. We will we'll make sure to refresh everyone's memory about the intercutting, um, so so that it's not unintentionally diminished. Um, I'm I'm desperate uh, to say something funny, but it's uh, it's I, it's just all it's <laughs> but real you're not super that heavy. Funny. No, no, I'm just not. Uh, I just I desperately want to uh, to lighten the mood a little bit, but it, but it's tough. I mean, these are heavy yeah. topics, and and they can hit people in in powerful powerful ways um so anyway i don't want to make light of it but my natural inclination is to uh just do anything to try to lighten the score but um but yeah thank you everyone for for um you know being part of this conversation it's not an easy one um coach uh where do people find you if they want to find we align.alignp.com come through check out the online community let's grow uh, boss, what about you? Uh, so you can find all of my contact information on Twitter, which is uh, dumbly underscore chambers. I don't go there anymore. I am mostly at threads, uh, which is Emily chambers dot 31. And also on blue sky, which is dumbly chambers, no underscore. But again, you can find that all on Twitter. should be able to find me pretty easily. Otherwise um, on the community site, uh, which should be in the links. Okay, everybody, thank you so much for for joining us and for being a part of this. Please uh, support, support your local libraries and the written word. Um, we thank you for uh, becoming Buttercups. And uh, those, those of you who are, uh, who are actively subscribed, um, if you do the whole thing about liking and subscribing and, and, and all that stuff, it really, really helps us. Uh, if you don't have the money and you can't, people are going through a hard time, um, please uh, give us a, a review or you know any of those things. They always they always help. Uh, so anyway, that's it. Thank you. We'll be back next time with uh, part six. Uh, and until then, we are Richmond. Richmond. Till we till die. we're ready. <laughs> I couldn't find it. You found it. Yay! <laughs> I, I was wondering. I was wondering what you were gonna do on this. I was trying one. to find it. Like no, that's like, not oh, funny. Man. I was like no, that's. I don't not know if I want to die right now. <laughs> yeah, you Yikes. found it. Nicely done. Hey, it's until we're ready. <laughs> the TedCast is a joint venture between Pajiba and the Antagonist. Visit us at pajiba.com and antagonistblog.com.